Father, we are thankful that we have Jesus' example of lifting our voices in song. And though uh, some of our skill may be less than his and less than anyone else for that matter perhaps, but nonetheless, Lord, we're thankful for the, uh, the privilege of having hearts of happiness, hearts of love and gratitude, and we say hallelujah to Jesus because that all comes from him. So we pray that you'll be with us now as we continue our uh, consideration of medical missionary work in the great controversy. In Jesus' name, amen. So what did we talk about yesterday? Or who did we talk about yesterday? Yeah, yeah, okay, so not, not the most common of sermon topics. We'll be back on slightly more common ground this morning. Because what we're doing is we're continuing the, the narrative. There are some interesting things about this whole process. You may remember, well, let's see. Um, well, okay, uh, I want to catch the subtitle here in a second here. So remember yesterday the subtitle was Try Something New. Lucifer thought he had a good idea. And mathematically, it worked out just as well as God's idea. It hasn't worked out well at all. And in the process, we have suffered. God has suffered. Heaven has suffered. Angels have suffered. And... The question is, what do we do now? What, what, what is the Godhead going to do? Remember the poisoning the well issue? What, what's, what's the Godhead going to do? And so our, our subtitle today kind of captures that. It sounds just a little bit hot. Should I move it down this tad? Maybe, something like that. Jesus says, let me show you. Please, he says, let me show you. Please look over here. <laughs> Let me show you. Well, we closed yesterday with these accusations. And you remember I asked you, you've been busy, so I'm going to guess that you really didn't sit down and spend 20 minutes trying to think, well, what would I do if I were God? But I did leave that with you. Yeah. What would you do if you were God? How do you deal with this? You know, it's kind of interesting. We have the assurance that the Lord has a thousand ways to supply our need of which we know nothing. So how many ways would he have of solving his own problem, would you think? One. Only one. We'll see that as we go. And this gets so interesting and so <coughs> intricate and so precise. Ellen White has all these comments about this was exactly what was needed and one step less would have been insufficient and it could not have gone one step more. Wow. That's a pretty high level of, of precision. And there's interesting twists and turns in the whole thing. You, you may be familiar with the chapter, It is Finished in Desire of Ages. I can never remember the page number. It's on the right-hand side. So it's, um, <laughs> it's an odd number. <laughs> 683 or something like that. I don't remember. Anyhow, it's on the right-hand side in the, just in, in the chapter, It is Finished, where, where Jesus dies. And it says, Satan saw that his disguise was torn away. <coughs> And he was revealed as a murderer. And I'm like, yeah, what? It took 4,000 years to do that? <laughs> I mean, what about Abel? How did we go 4,000 years and now we've 
Well, congratulations, we've managed to figure out that Lucifer's a murderer. I mean, it's like there were some murders along the way. I'm pretty sure of it. Well, it's because of the, the basis of the whole argument. Lucifer had the perfect dodge for 4,000 years. He could say, you know, you can quibble about how we execute someone if you want. You know, I mean, we've got lots of alternatives. We've got, what, lethal injections and gas chambers and hanging and uh, firing squad. There must have been a few others along the way. I don't remember what they all are. You, you can quibble about how we do it, but don't blame me. It's God's losses. Sinners have to die. I don't like the law. I told you that a long time ago. You want to whine? Talk to him. So what was different at the cross? He wasn't a sinner. For the first and only time in all of eternity, an innocent individual died. That's when Satan stepped too far. And you remember that statement, it goes on, it says that the last link of sympathy was broken at that point. Now that's not the kind of sympathy, I, I don't think, there might have been some of it, you know. I don't think it was a, oh, poor Lucifer. I don't think it's that kind of sympathy. I think it's more like, yeah, well, you know, I can, I can kind of sympathize with that position. You know, kind of an intellectual sympathy, I, I think. But, you know, maybe, maybe there were still angels or unfallen beings who were, you know, wouldn't that be fascinating? If they hung on to their faith in God that long, but they were still feeling sorry for Lucifer after 4,000 years. You know, maybe they were. I don't know. It, angels are individuals. They're not all the same package deal, you know? So there might have been a range there. Who knows? Well, anyhow, so we've got these accusations. What are you going to do about them? What's God going to do about them? We might have thought that there were lots of things he could do. I mean, you know, why don't you just vaporize Lucifer? <laughs> That's easy, you know? <laughs> Done. You know? Or, you know... You could roll back the operating system, right? <laughs> Just, you know, kind of wipe out all the hard drives and take it back to three months before, but, you know, and nobody had started sitting yet. And I was just, okay, go from there. Uh, no, those were not options. Those were not options. Actually, when Ellen White talks about this, she spends most of her time talking about the things that God couldn't do. Sort of fascinating. How shall the universe know that Lucifer is not safe, a safe and just leader? To their eyes, he appears right. They cannot see as God sees beneath the outward covering. They cannot know as God knows. Then to work to unmask him and make plain to the angelic host that his judgment is not God's judgment, that he has made a standard of his own and exposed himself to the righteous indignation of God would create a state of things which must be avoided. <coughs> Did you know there's stuff that God has to work around? <laughs> you know, it's like we have that in our day-to-day -day work. You know, well, we can schedule it for Tuesday afternoon, but you know, I've got so many other things. I can't, I can't put everything on Tuesday afternoon. Like, gotta have, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to be on Wednesday. We're gonna have to work around that. Must, that situation just, you know, can't deal with that. We're gonna have to avoid that. God ran into things that he had to avoid, too. God desired that a change take place and that the work of Satan be brought out in its genuine aspect. But the exalted angel standing next to Christ was opposed to the Son of God. The outworking, or the underworking, excuse me, was so subtle that it could not be made to appear before the heavenly host as the thing that it really was. And once again, we come up to something that God couldn't do. And yesterday we saw he could not have created a being that was more like himself than Lucifer. And now it could not be made to appear before the heavenly host is the thing it really was. God couldn't do it. Satan could not be presented to the universe at once in his real character. His crooked course must be allowed to continue until he should reveal himself as an accuser, a deceiver, a liar, and a murderer. So notice you got a couple things going on here. 
there's, on the one hand, there's stuff that God could not do. On the other side, there's things that God had to do, that he must, right? It's like, you know, I mean, I talked to you yesterday about being in a box and, you know, have to think outside the box. You know, it's almost like God's in a box here. You know, I can't do that and I got to do this. Satan had disguised himself in a cloak of falsehood, and for a time it was impossible to tear off the covering so that the hideous deformity of his character could be seen. He must be left to reveal himself in his cruel, artful, wicked works. Again, this was impossible, and this must be done. You know, we're, we're not used to thinking of... of one with omnipotence is not being able to do stuff. <laughs> you know? It's interesting. This sin thing, this is a major problem. This is, this is not your run-of-the-mill issue that God has to deal with. This is the big one. Well, let's see. Let's go on. <clears throat> God's purpose is to place things upon an eternal basis of security. Now stop for just a moment and reflect that prior to sin, the universe obviously was not on a basis of eternal security because insecurity developed with the introduction of sin. Okay? Uh, and incidentally, um, bless the hearts of anyone who's taking notes and or documenting every screen with your cell phone, I will happily give you these slides. <laughs> if, if, you, <laughs> if you have a jump drive or something like that, you know, I'll happily give them to you. So, you know, I know electrons are cheap and it doesn't cost that much to take pictures, but you don't have to. <laughs> okay. Okay. God's purpose is to place things upon an eternal basis of security. Time must be given for Satan to develop the principles which were the foundation of his government. The heaven and the universe must see worked out the principles which Satan declared were superior to God's principles. God's order must be contrasted with Satan's order. The corrupting principles of Satan's rule must be revealed. The principles of righteousness expressed in, the, in God's law must be demonstrated as unchangeable, perfect, and eternal. And notice these words. <laughs> yeah, I, I taught... Uh, mostly academy, but you know, at one point or another, everything from grade five through college. And I had a few kids along the way, gentlemen, young gentlemen, who um, I don't want to say anything bad here, um, <laughs> who followed a line of reasoning that I find completely ludicrous. That's about as good as I can do. Um, now, I have to say that in some cases it was a blessing to them in a roundabout sort of a longer road than the Lord would have maybe chosen for them, but nonetheless. And it, it, the line of reasoning goes like this. I am sick of being told what to do. Mom and Dad are always telling me what to do. My older brother's always telling me what to do. My, my little sister's always telling me what to do, for crying out loud. Teachers are always telling me what to do. Everybody's telling me what to do. I'll show them. I'll join the army. <laughs> There's a logical gap in there somehow that's always amused me, you know? <laughs> really? Man, that's what you want to do? <laughs> you know? Um, <clears throat> and though I, I, I differ in many ways with some of the foundational principles of the armed forces and, and, and other such things, you know, I'll have to say that um, one of my former students who did that ended up as a, uh, a U.S. Ranger, which is the, the most disciplined branch of the U.S. Army. Uh, everyone salutes a Ranger. Doesn't matter if you're a general or not, you salute a Ranger. And it was a blessing to him. And it took some years, but I think the Lord's taking some of that blessing and turning it into something that I would see as a blessing. Let's put it that way. But anyhow, but <laughs> here's, here's my point. God's got a lot of stuff that he's got to do. You know, 
he must do this, he must do that, he must do the other thing, you know? And it's like, I'm just glad he didn't just give up on everybody and go join the army. <laughs> and, and notice, notice what it is. Satan must develop the principles. The universe must see. God's order must be contrasted. Satan's rule must be revealed. The, uh, God's law must be demonstrated. Everything here that must be done, all the benefit to be gained from any of this, is all done through perception. Follow what I'm saying there? Confusion must be eliminated. The true state of things must be seen. It's entirely perceptual. Mark this point well. For this process of clarification, and we'll see how that's done, this process of clarification is the only weapon in heaven's arsenal. The only method that God uses. It's the only appropriate method of response to Satan's attack. I don't have the accusations up there anymore. Bam. And notice, though, <clears throat> as far as uh, Satan himself is concerned, the damage was all self-inflicted. God is not firing grenades or mortars or something at, at Satan. The, the damage in Satan's case is self-inflicted by his own demonstration of, well, a couple slides back we had it, you know, that his, his character must be seen as being warped and twisted and murderous and, and I don't remember the list, but you know. Okay. <clears throat> but Satan had set in motion certain issues. And just because Satan discredited himself did not mean that God was off the hook. Does that make sense? You following me? Okay. Because Lucifer had poisoned the well. God himself had to respond to these accusations against his character. He had to make some demonstration too. And the universe knew it. It's, it's so fascinating sometimes because sometimes you read the spirit prophecy and there are, it, it, it's like everybody in the universe really understands what's going on. And then other times it almost looks like they're really kind of dense. You know, <laughs> because some things that, that seem to us to be perfectly clear have to be demonstrated to them. You know, and, and, and you know, sometimes I'd scratch them and I said, man, they, they couldn't figure that one out. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I suspect it's because I'm dense, actually, and I don't understand the complexity of the issue, which is why it's necessary to be demonstrated. But anyhow, God himself had to respond, and the universe understood that. The unfallen worlds saw that the character of God could be vindicated only through this trial and conflict of the two forces. The attributes of God must be made to appear. Of the stability of his government, there must be no question I mean, this is, this, is, this is high stakes. This is the big league. We're talking the universe, <laughs> you know? I mean, you don't want someone to run the universe that makes mistakes. We see this all the time in, in, in earthly politics, right? So maybe you've got two politicians, and you put them on the stage, and they're both saying terrible things about each other. You know, I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I'm the only cynical one in the crowd, but when I hear that, I sit there and the first thing I always think is, man, what if they're both telling the truth? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, that guy is as bad as he says, and he's as bad as he says. It's like, oh, man, what a great option I've got. Um, just because Lucifer showed himself to be disreputable, didn't get God off the hook. Okay? I already made that point. 
God had to show that he was indeed worthy of his position as ruler of the universe. How are you going to do that? <laughs> I mean, you know, are we going to take a, a plebiscite, right? Or a vote, you know? Does God run a democracy? Um, no, he doesn't actually, but you know. Um, but how, how was he going to do this? How was he going to settle all these questions? Well, the simple answer is he had to convince everyone in the universe that his government was the only one they wanted. That's actually a pretty tall order. You know? Again, Lucifer may have discredited himself, but there are lots and lots and lots of intelligent beings in the universe. And they're not made with cookie cutters. They, they, they think. <laughs> they have their own perspectives. What are the odds that out of 510 million gazillion people out there, somebody, someplace, would say, yeah, you know, Satan's ideas, that was really messed up. But I, I'm not quite so sure about God's ideas. I think we ought to do this. <laughs> you know, what do you do with this? How does God get everyone in the entire universe to sign off? You know? And that's exactly what's required. That's why Philippians 2, you know, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. <clears throat> well, the only way to get past that problem is to be willing to do more, to go further for the good of the citizens of the universe than anyone else would or could. So how is God going to do that? <clears throat> no verbal description could reveal God to the world. Through a life of purity, a life of perfect trust and submission to the will of God, a life of humiliation such as even the highest seraph in heaven would have shrunk from, God himself must be revealed to humanity. You remember, I think it's early writings, story of redemption, one of the other, something like that, where it, it talks about how when they announce the plan of salvation, the angel says, no, 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 not Jesus, I'll go, I'll do it. Oh, yeah, they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> it was a nice thought. I, and, you know, uh, I'm happy they were that sacrificing, but they hadn't seen the picture yet. And when they did, they would have said, yeah, I don't know, Jesus, I've been thinking about this. <laughs> Maybe you ought to do this job. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to go down there and be mistreated my whole life. I don't want idiots that don't understand anything to be spitting on me. I don't want that. Who does? I don't want to be separated from the Father. Who does? Well, there is one class to do. Lucifer and his angels, they want to be separated from the Father. That's a different story. We won't go there now. Okay, well, so Jesus clarifies and says this is what the mission involves. And the angels listen. And then Jesus says, this is what I'm willing to do to help those I've created. Anyone else going to do more? Any hands? Anybody else want to do this much? Any hands? And there were no volunteers. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Nobody else is going to do this job. So the divine response went ahead. Notice again, though, this is a matter of revealing. Right? 
First line, no verbal description could reveal God to the world. That was the task, is revealing God to the world. And he can't do it with words. It's a matter of correcting our perception of God. Rewiring our brains. You know, they've got a cool name for that in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. They call it neuroplasticity. <laughs> okay? It's kind of like a hot issue in the neurology thing. Yes, doctor? Yes, it should be. Yes, I imagine you're into that. Okay. <laughs> um, unsurprisingly, God was a few thousand years ahead of us. He, he often is, actually. Uh, and that's the task that he had. How do I rewire these people's brains so they can actually understand the truth about God after they've been exposed to Lucifer's lies? That's the task. <clears throat> How important is this? Yeah, this is dreadfully important. Without the correct knowledge of God, the human family would be divested of all divine strength. Stop here for a vocabulary word. What does divested mean? What's that? Stripped of. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good way of expressing it. It's the opposite of, of invested, right? If somebody invests in you, you've got a new business going, here's $1,000, you know? I'm investing in this young man. He looks like he has promise, and if I buy some stock, maybe I'll make some money off the deal, okay? So I'm investing. When you're divested, it's gone. Without the correct knowledge of God, the human family would be divested of all divine strength. You want to play that game with those odds? With false attributes kept before the mind as belonging to God, the human family would be the dupes of satanic lies and the subjects of satanic agencies, and he could practice upon their credulity with success. Oh, I just love the vocabulary going on here. So what is a dupe? Someone who has fallen prey to duplicity. That's where the word comes from, okay? Duplicity is being two-faced. And if I'm lying to you and you believe me, I am duplicitous and you are a dupe. God does not want us to be the dupes of satanic lies, nor the subject of satanic agencies, nor does he want the devil to practice upon our credulity. Oh, isn't that a good word? What's credulity? What would be a nice synonym? Gullibility, naivety, perhaps? Yeah, okay, credulity is... We give credence where it does not belong. Okay. <clears throat> so if incorrect knowledge can rob us of all divine strength and leave us dupes of Satan, it seems wise to ask, how, how critical is this issue, right? How, how much misconception does it take to harm us? Is this you know, a matter of kind of just generally getting the right idea? Or is this a matter of getting every detail right? What are we, what are we looking at here? How important was this whole thing, this perception thing, to Jesus? Christ loves the human race and has expressed this love in every action of his life. Okay, might be related. Just hold that thought. Let's go on. Every act of Christ's ministry was far-reaching in its purpose. It comprehended more than appeared in the act itself. Hmm, interesting. A wise purpose underlay every act of Christ's life on earth. Everything he did was important in itself and in its teaching. Were the mind of man capable of understanding his dealings, every act of Christ's earthly life would stand forth important, complete, and in harmony with his divine mission. Jesus came to earth to teach men how to live a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice and how to carry out practical religion in their daily lives, he labored constantly for one object. All his powers were employed for the salvation of men and every act of his life tended to that end. 
Now, okay, the emphasis here has been on the actions of Jesus because earlier we read the statement that, that no verbal description would, would do the job. But notice this last one. This is kind of an interesting one. <clears throat> Every act of his life tended to that end. All his powers were employed for the salvation of it. He, that's, everything he did was intended to work for our salvation. And notice up earlier in that last statement there, it says, he came to teach men how to live a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Well, why is that important? I thought he was just going to save me. <laughs> He's trying. <laughs> okay. He's trying. Salvation is the same as healing. Healing is the same as salvation. Okay. This is his goal. How did he go about it? How, what was it? There's, there's a, if you get into a military situation, there's an interesting kind of a hierarchy of concepts. I mean, the, the goal, I just, you know, don't have to worry about Christian motives here. We're just talking the military, and there's, there's often a gap between the two. But, you know, so the goal of the military, if they're getting into a war, the number one goal is want to win the war. I don't want to die. <laughs> we want to win the war. That's the goal. How do you go about that, though? Well, let's just pick on World War II, for instance, as an example. First thing we have to do is, is we, we, we settle on some goals for, for different theaters. You know? So the Allies went into North Africa first and then up through Italy, and eventually they... Uh, D-Day and that whole thing, and went into Europe. But meanwhile, they had Pacific going on out there, and they were doing their whatever out in the Pacific. So you, you got to kind of subdivide and figure out how you're going to deal with this. Okay, and and then you have you have missions. Yeah, um, we well, have operational goals. I think is the term. I may have this mixed up now. It's been a while since I looked at it. But you know, uh, there's this hierarchy. That's the point. Yeah. So so maybe the operational goal is we want to liberate Paris. Good. How are you going to do that? Well, then you have missions. Okay, the fifth company goes this way and takes this bridge, and the company B goes around here and does this, and those are missions. And eventually you work this on down, and, and you get down to the last level. This is what we call tactics. Tactics is the stuff like, how are you going to feed them? <laughs> yeah, it's great to send an army. Oh, go over that way, guys. Yeah, by tomorrow morning, they're going to be hungry. How are you going to feed them? How are you going to get gasoline to all those tanks? You know, fill them up and just go driving that way. Mm, that seems good for a while. You're going to run out of gas. Just for pure interest's sake, sidetrack. An M1A1 US uh, M1A1 Abrams US battle tank. You know what kind of gas mileage those things get? Four gallons to the mile. <laughs> it's going to take some gas to keep those things moving. That's tactics. That's what I want to look at. What were the tactics of Jesus now? The great object that brought Christ to the earth was to reveal the Father. God is love. This was the great truth that Christ came to the world to reveal. The object of Christ's mission to the world was to reveal the Father. In all his ministry, all his self-denial and self-sacrifice, Christ's object was to reveal God to the world. Not his self-denial and self-sacrifice cropped up again. Isn't that something? A while back he was trying to teach us how to do that. It's because that's what he did. And it, it's a part of the revelation of God. It's a part of the only weapon heaven has. Self-denial, self-sacrifice. Well, okay. Now what makes it stronger? Christ exalted the character of God, attributing to him the praise and giving him the credit of the whole purpose 
of his own mission to earth. M dash. Right? Okay. We have time. Give you a little typography lesson here. In English, we have these things we call that set things off, set parts of the, 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 the sentence off a little bit, okay? Sometimes they're called interrupters. The simplest interrupter is a comma. You just want to stick a little idea in there. You know, like Fred, comma, Tom's brother, comma, okay? If you want a stronger interruption, you use an M dash right there, just after the word earth. It's called an M dash because it's the width of a capital M. It's not a hyphen. Please don't use hyphens. It's not an N dash. An N dash is used as a replacement for the word two. So if I said from 1996, N dash to 1997, see, you read it with a two in there, but it's just that N dash, that's what that's used for, or A to Z, or A to Z for my Canadian friends. Um, and then the strongest interruption is a, a set of parentheses, okay? But these things, they often set off what we call appositives, which is just a restatement of the last thing that was spoken of. So you've got a noun phrase and then an appositive, okay? So Fred, comma, Tom's brother, comma, went to town. Who's Fred? Tom's brother. That's in apposition, okay? Same thing. So, the whole purpose of his own mission on earth, M dash, to set men right through the revelation of God. What was the purpose of Christ's mission on earth, right? And this is, this is maybe a little strange sounding, because we seldom think of salvation this way. But here we see that the whole purpose of Christ's mission to earth was to set men right. And the tactic that was used is the revelation of the character of God. But right at the end, that's so much fun. What do we call the dots? There you go. It's an ellipsis, okay? The sentence continues. When the object of his mission was attained, another M dash, the revelation of God to the world, once again in apposition, telling us what the object of his mission was, the Son of God announced that his work was accomplished and the character of the Father was made manifest to men. When did Jesus announce that his work was accomplished? It is finished. The revelation of the character of God was not complete until self-denial and self-sacrifice had led Jesus to surrender his life. We usually think Jesus just came to save us. Well, he did, of course. But the way to do all that was to reveal the character of God. And when Jesus got into the business of revealing the character of God, he, he pushed it right to the limit. God sent his son into the world to reveal so far as could be endured by human sight the nature and the attributes of the invisible God. You remember those times, Ellen White has an interesting phrase she uses. She says, divinity flashed through humanity. <coughs> Those are the occasions when Jesus loosened up on the, on the damper a little bit, I guess, you know, and, and just, it was just a little bit more than can be endured. <laughs> That's why they all fled from the temple, right? You know, I mean, he, just comes, he comes walking down the steps, and he's got this little bundle of cords in his hands, you know, and hit anybody. But she says, divinity flashed to humanity, and everybody decided it would be much more comfortable out in the street right now. Christ revealed all of God that sinful human beings could bear without being destroyed. <laughs> I 
Remember, I was talking about some precision involved in this, you know, right, right up to this point, and, and we don't want to go any further. Christ is the perfect representation of the Father. His life of sinlessness lived on this earth in human nature is a complete refutation of Satan's charge against the character of God. And that's the point I want you to remember here. This is not, I think I'll go to visit my friends on earth for a while. No, 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 this is, this is not some, this is focused. This is like laser focused. He is here for a purpose. He's got nine accusations against the government of heaven. And he's here to deal with that. How precise, how, how meticulous this is. This is fascinating. I, there's, there's tons more statements. I don't have time to get them all in. But, you know, there are issues driving the great controversy. And I've got a very simple concept that says, why don't we find out which ones we need to work on? <laughs> okay? You know? I mean, if you get in an argument with your older brother, and, and there's three reasons that the argument's going on, but two of them are solved somehow, well, what should you focus on? Focus on one's not solved. I think it's time for God's people to figure some of this stuff out and get on the same page. It's, it's nice to have an army here on earth, but it would probably be good if we at least knew what the general was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's got to be a good thing. Well, <clears throat> well, we do know Jesus was trying to reveal the Father. Ellen White calls it a perfect representation. And it's fascinating how she explains this. Had God the Father come to our world and dwelt among us, veiling his glory and humbling himself that humanity might look upon him, the history that we have of the life of Christ would not have been changed in unfolding its record of his own condescending grace. In every act of Jesus, in every lesson of his instruction, we are to see and hear and recognize God. In sight, in hearing, in effect, it is the voice and movements of the Father. You know, so, it's like, hypothetically speaking, if, if you know, two weeks before the Incarnation, Jesus and his Father were sitting around talking one day, and they said, yeah, why don't we mix this thing up? I'll stay, you go. We wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> Jesus said the same thing. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how, you know, I mean, Jesus says stuff that is so easy to read over and not really process well. <laughs> you know, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What's up with that? You know, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> well, it's important for us to understand the methods, the tactics that Jesus used. We'll deal with that more in future presentations, but just kind of bear that in mind, this, this whole issue of getting down to the, the tactical level is important. Let's go on. Jesus could not express in words to the understanding of man the love of the Father. He could only say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the most he could say. And still there was a problem because those words, even Jesus' words, even the most famous, most beloved verse in the Bible, they weren't enough. Words could not express the love of the Father. Are words bad? They don't need to be. I mean, yeah, there are bad words, let's say. But, you know, okay. You know, words are a part of God's plan. Because Jesus taught, but they, they weren't enough to carry the job all by themselves. Jesus needed something more, and fortunately, our statement continues. But he did express the love of God in his actions. The combined ministry of preaching and practical ministry 
is God's ordained means of revealing the Father. You don't just do stuff and let people sit there and scratch their heads. I don't know, the guy just did this thing. I don't know what's going on with that. No, you explain it. <laughs> you give him the theory. You give him the doctrine. You give him the Bible study. Whatever it is, as you have opportunity, you preach. But you don't just preach. They go together. The Savior of the world devoted more time and labor to healing the afflicted of their maladies than to preaching. Not that preaching's bad. But he knew which one had the most power. And so you invest your time and your effort where you get the most return. Seems sensible. What does strike me as odd here is that we focus so little on these things. We, we have some really fragmented ideas of Christ's work. We, we emphasize the sacrifice of the cross. But too often we see it as it's just some sort of an abstract payment for sin. And, and we fail to recognize its role in what Ellen White calls the whole purpose of Christ's mission to earth. It was a revelation. I don't have it in here. There's a... There's a hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the wording. There's another statement that um, she says that, that um, she, actually she answers a question that, you know, I, I know I'm sure you've sat in Bible uh, or Sabbath school discussions that have, you know, gone waxing eloquent in different <laughs> Sabbath school discussions. They can be really great sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, somewhere along the line, you've probably run into the question of, could Jesus have, uh, have just gone to a different planet and died to pay for our sins? You ever run into that question? Yeah. The answer is no. No, he could not. And, and, and that's the neat thing about the statement. She says, he must, I don't remember the exact wording, but he must give his life and it must be seen that he did so. Because it's a revelation. Anyhow, <clears throat> When we do consider his work of revealing the Father, we seldom see it as the means, the active agent in the salvation of sinners. And yet, Christ came to this world for no other purpose than to display the glory of God that man might be uplifted by its restoring power. Earlier we had a statement that said, to set men right through the revelation. This revelatory thing, this understanding of the character of God, it's allowing its impact to rewire our brains is a part of the healing process. And still, beyond all, all the concern we might have for our salvation, there remain the accusations of Satan against the character of God and the law of heaven, right? Oops, uh, okay. Hold that thought for a moment. Christ revealed God to his disciples in a way that performed in their hearts a special work, such as he has long been urging us to allow him to do in our hearts. That's an interesting idea. Because even though it required the actions of Jesus to be visible, to reveal the character of the Father, he's not here anymore. We can't watch him. But he's still trying to do the same work in our hearts and in the hearts of others. So, because he died, does that mean that now words are enough? See my question? Well, hang on to that. Satan charged God with possessing the attributes that he himself possessed. Christ came to this world to reveal God's character as it really is. He is the perfect representation of the Father. His life of sinlessness lived on this earth in human nature is a complete refutation of Satan's charge against the character of God. Now, just to avoid confusion in a few slides down, 
Notice it's a complete refutation, but it qualifies what's being refuted. Okay? The charge against the character of God. Okay? So hang on to that. You'll need that in a minute to make sense of something that's coming up. Okay. So let's look at the list. <coughs> God said the only way to deal with these accusations is through the process of demonstration. Okay, fair enough. So how's this all working out, right? How did things look after Christ's life, say the time of his ascension? How are we doing in this whole process of, of dealing with these accusations, right? So what about the first one? Is that one still uh, still very effective for Lucifer? No, not by that time. He had revealed himself as a murderer. Okay. Number two? God's unfair because he selected the one guy of the two who wasn't a murderer? Uh, no. So we can wipe numbers one and two off the list. Good. What about three and four? As a result of the ultimate example, the cross. Lucifer's losing here. What about five and six? A little trickier. But as I, I don't think I used this illustration yesterday. I, I, I think I did it in a private conversation, so hopefully this is not rerun for the rest of you. But, you know, some arguments or disagreements are best settled by a single demonstration. Okay? So if I told you that I can actually bench press 400 pounds, why are you laughing? <laughs> it's not nice to laugh at my scrawny physique. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you might be justified in some hesitancy in accepting that assertion. Okay. But you know what? If I did it, na 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 na. <laughs> okay. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to try it. That's okay, folks. But um, some things, you just do it. Yeah. I can high jump six feet. Really? Well, yeah. you might not think so. But if I did it, Lucifer said, the God, uh, God's law is defective. Nobody can keep it. And guess what? Jesus had in human nature. Boom. I didn't think he could bench press 400 pounds, but he did it. Five and six are gone. Six out of nine so far, that's two-thirds. That's progress. Those are the accusations against the character of God. The two that remain are accusations against the law of God. Now, you and I might say, well, the law is the same as his character. But apparently there's a bit of a distinction yet in some people's minds. Because these three accusations are still on the table. They have not been proven false yet. That's actually a very good thing. If all of the accusations had been proven false at the time of the cross, then I have just one simple question for you. What are we doing here now? And please do not tell me to worship a God who will allow 2,000 years of human suffering for no very good reason. War creates very unpleasant circumstances. 
Every commanding officer, I guess, has probably had to face this at some point or the other, you know? You're sending your guys out there, and they're probably going to get killed. But you know what? You've got to send them. God does not like human suffering. It causes him more pain than it causes us. There's a great statement that says that the agony of the cross did not begin nor end, or the agony of sin, I think it is, did not begin nor end with the cross. The suffering of Christ on the cross is but a a revelation to our dull senses of the suffering which sin has brought to the heart of God since its very inception. God does not take the last 2,000 years of suffering lightly. He's paid for it far more than we have. So it's good that there are still, something, uh, still some issues on the table. If there were no issues on the table, I'd have a real problem. But we've got three issues on the table. What do you say we work on those? And, and for that matter, why are they still there? <laughs> why didn't Jesus just solve the whole thing and get it over with? Well, because these three issues require a different kind of a demonstration. They require a demonstration through human beings. Why didn't Jesus just take care of it? Well, in one sense he did. In one sense he did. In another sense, he didn't. He's made it possible. He's guaranteed. I'm just going to use that word. There's, there's, I could slice and dice and analyze that from a different angle, but I'm not going to do that right now. But you know, he's, he's guaranteed its eventual accomplishment. But it's not been done yet. There's an interesting pairing of this idea that Ellen White uses. It's one of her more common expressions in her writings. If you've read any much of her writings, I'm sure you've run into it. It's her description of Jesus as our substitute and surety. Ellen White uses this phrase more than 300 times in her published works and another 130 times in that Letters and Manuscripts release I was talking about. What's... One thing that's really interesting about this is, you know, when you're reading Ellen White and you find her saying the same thing over and over again, the same wording, you know, it almost always means she's quoting the scripture. This is not a scripture quote. The Bible doesn't say this. It has the ideas, but this little construction right here, this little four-word phrase, is Ellen White's own creation, if you wish. I don't know, maybe she plagiarized it from someone else. I don't care. But yeah. it's, it's her own effort to describe this compound function of Christ. He is our substitute and surety. Now, the meaning of the word substitute seems pretty obvious. I think we can probably just say, yes, it means what we think it means. But the word surety is a little more involved. It's a little more interesting. Uh, It has a typically rich meaning in the English language. We come up with words like rich to disguise the fact that what we really mean is confusing. Um, So here's the definition for the word surety taken from the, uh, you know, that 1828 Webster's Dictionary, right? So this is more or less the, the, the functioning definition that would have been in place at, in Ellen White's. It hasn't really changed much. Yeah, they, they'd reword it a little more modernly, but the thought hasn't changed. Surety, it's a noun. Certainty, indubitableness, that's a great word. Security, safety foundation of stability, support, evidence, ratification, confirmation, 
security against loss or damage, security for payment in law, one that is bound with and for another. Extreme case, a hostage. Well, <clears throat> Ellen White uses, um, uh, I didn't just say that, let's just skip on, okay. Um, now, that's, that's, that's a lot of definitions for one word. You know? it's, it's like, oh please, couldn't we make this simple? Well, we can simplify it by noticing that there is two classes. The first four have to do with guaranteeing a positive outcome. The last three have to do with um, rectifying a negative outcome. Can I follow what I'm saying? Okay. It's like <coughs> if, uh, if, if Junior comes to Dad and says, hey, Dad, I want to buy a car. Okay. Hmm. Says, uh, but I don't have quite enough money. Well, I guess you aren't buying a car then, are you? <laughs> well, no, I've got a plan. Oh, what's your plan? Says, I want to, I want to borrow some money from the bank. Hmm. Hmm. I see. Think that's a good idea? Yeah, Dad. I think it's a good idea. Well, hmm. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Well, Dad, there's a problem. What's the problem? They won't lend it to me. That is a problem. <laughs> but, but they will under one circumstance. What's that? They want you to co-sign the loan. <laughs> if Junior flakes out, Dad's on the hook. That's one kind of security. That's the guarantee or the, the rectifying of a negative situation. But look at those first four. This security is saying, I guarantee a positive outcome. This security kicks in before the event happens, not trying to correct it afterwards. <clears throat> kind of two broadly different meanings. So which meaning was Ellen White after when she described Christ as our substitute and, and surety? If surety means recovery from a negative outcome, then it's pretty much the same idea as substitute. So that phrase then, substitute and surety, is, is, would be a nice case of repetition for the sake of emphasis, right? She said the same thing twice because she really wanted to emphasize the idea. That sounds plausible enough, okay? On the other hand, if surety means to guarantee a positive outcome, then the phrase is one of complementary contrast. Hmm. What did she mean when she wrote substitute and surety? Well, as always, inspiration should be allowed to define itself. And the clearest way in doing this is to just look at uses when she didn't use that combined phrase. Let's, let's just go look and see what she said about surety, right? So we can separate it out and look at it as an individual thing, right? Well, it turns out that there are about 330 examples of that, so we've got lots to work with. We're not going to look at them all. God with us is the surety of our deliverance from sin, the assurance of our power to obey the law of heaven. The redeemer of the world in the wilderness of temptation fought the battle upon the point of appetite in our behalf as our surety. He overcame, thus making it possible for man to overcome in his name. Christ came to our world as man's surety, preparing the way for him little h, right, to gain the victory by giving him, little h, moral power. Christ came to our world to be man's surety, to overcome in his behalf, to live for him a sinless life, that in his power they might obtain the victory over sin. Now notice we've got two things going on here. Christ is still the substitute overcome in 
his behalf. That's not me overcoming there. Not when Christ overcomes in my behalf. That's him. But there's a purpose to his overcoming. And that is that the power might come to obtain the victory over sin. Closing up here. Obedience. Sin is the last. Jesus died for man. His substitute and surety enduring, in, enduring all that men ever excuse me, endure from the deceiving tempter that man may overcome by being a partaker of the divine nature. Okay, wrap it up. The government of heaven was confronted with a daring rebellion. It was charged with gross incompetence, selfishness, and dishonesty. So what was the response? When human beings fell into sin and were hopelessly lost, what was the response? What was the whole purpose of Christ's mission on earth? It was the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pray as did Moses, Lord, reveal to me thy glory. A revelation of the goodness, the tenderness, and love of Jesus toward fallen man will cause self to sink into nothingness. I think that goes well with the doctor's presentation this morning. And will exalt Jesus. Lift him up, the man of Calvary. Talk of Jesus and his matchless love. There is where many who present the truth fail. They talk doctrines, but they do not dwell upon the matchless, forbearing love of Jesus. So let me close by repeating something I said earlier. The revelation of God's character is the only weapon in heaven's arsenal. It is the only appropriate method of response to Satan's attack. It is the only means by which God may set men right. And in all that, we have been given the privilege of carrying on the same work that Christ did. And we are now to be those who are revealing the character of God. And the tactics by which we may successfully do so remain exactly the same as the tactics by which Jesus did. Father, we are grateful for omniscience, that you are all wise, and you could, even before the need, foresee the need to deal with sin and know exactly the only existing single possible means of doing so. We thank you that you have done so and that we are privileged to have a part in that work. We pray that you would focus our attention now on those aspects of the controversy that remain. Focus our lives, Lord, to the task of revealing the Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.